Ding dong ditch, bitch. I'm Grace. Aggressive. I'm Bridget. I wanted to do like a breaking and entering vibe. Okay. I don't really know why I did that. Maybe because we're going to talk about Cruel Summer later. Oh, that's a good tease. Yeah. So that's what I was going for with the vibe. Welcome to the Gossier, everyone, where we come to your door and we deliver gossip and then we run away and you just have to live with it. You have to take the information and stomp it out and get dog shit on your shoes or just let it burn, baby. So we'll start out with our first segment, which is called You Have to Tell Me. You Have to Tell Me is the segment where Bridget and I bring in gossip that one of us is more knowledgeable about than the other and tell the other person about it. So Bridget, you have to tell me about arguably the biggest news of the week, which is the Bill and Melinda Gates divorce. I'm glad we are starting with this one because, look, we all know. They send out a joint Twitter message, Facebook post. A joint statement. Like, we're amicably goodbying each other in front of everyone that we know. The thing I was most shocked about was this happened right after she, like, did a news interview where she was telling everyone about how Billy does not want to put a computer chip in your arm. When he gives a vaccine. Did you see this? I didn't. There's a clip where she's like, yeah, he, he definitely does not want to track you, which is funny because it's like computers already do track pretty much everything. Yeah, it's like he already does want to track me. He just doesn't want to track me in the vaccine, Melinda. Yeah, he doesn't want to waste his computer chips in your human body, baby. Old Melinda here put her name on the line for him and now she's divorcing him. So the computer chips must be real. It to me is very similar of when Jeff Bezos got divorced. He must be getting like too big for his britches because you have to think, I think this about Jeff Bezos. I think this about Bill Gates. They're so rich that they forget that they are nerds. I don't I think he's separated from the fact that he's not some like hot stud. Have you seen the memes? Yes, of course, I've seen the memes. My favorite ones are about how Melinda Gates is going to buy a Mac now. (laughs) My favorite ones are old Bill texting Jeff to see if he's ready to go out for the weekend. The two of them. ugh, garbage and garbager. So we we already know all this. It's going to be so out of our hands because it's so much money. It's over $150 billion. Because of the divorce, she's going to become like one of the richest people on the planet just by getting divorced. Yeah. And her name's on this foundation that they're going to keep running. So I actually at one point did turn to my partner and say, do you think this is a precursor to something much larger? Because we got Miss Elaine Maxwell on trial right now, which we all know old Billy hung out with old Jeffy. Not that he was doing anything with teenagers, but there is something weird going on with money. He was financing people doing things with teenagers, probably. Probably. This gives a transference of money and power to her if they're divorced. But now she can testify against him. She can testify against him, but it's going to be really hard to get money from him that's in her hand. Interesting. I mean, they're splitting the assets. So they could even be splitting the assets in terms of it gives them more control over their monetary worth in some ways. That makes sense. I think she knows about the teenagers because she's smart, but I don't think she knows about the teenagers because anything explicit's ever been said to her, if that makes sense. She's been in this world long enough. I'm sure she's put two and two together. 
Exactly. So I thought it'd be fun. I found this list on people. It's the surprising parts of Bill and Melinda Gates' marriage. Oh, I'm excited about to hear about this. And I'm going to be honest, most of this stuff came from the Netflix doc. So if you saw that, which I did not. I did not because I'm not a nerd. I'm not a loser either. (laughs) Yeah, so I didn't watch that Netflix doc. One of the things on this list is that Bill took annual vacations with his ex-girlfriend. Sir, Uh uh-uh. Where were the annual vacations to? To her beach cottage. Nope, they fucked. Beach cottage, they were fucking. Okay, but here's the other thing, because I thought about this. I thought, what if they have like a cool marriage where it's like, we're going to get married, but yeah, you can bang your ex-girlfriend once a year. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, no judgment if that's the case. Regardless of this, the consequences, he definitely was having sex with his ex-girlfriend once a year. Because they were married for a long ass time, 27 years. Yeah, 27 years is a long time. But I'm sorry, an annual vacation to see your ex-girlfriend at her beach cottage? That's a Nicholas Sparks novel. Uh-uh. No, could not be me. First of all, if my husband's going on vacation to a beach cottage, I'm coming. Yeah, but you're so rich. You probably have like half a dozen beach cottages. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you're going to a beach cottage. I'm going to go stay at a beach mansion. Yeah, bitch. Have fun. <laughs> I'm not sleeping in a guest room. Me and Pierre, the beach boy, are going to hang out together. I hope that's what happened for her. Right. So maybe it's a two way street. We don't know. It doesn't say. Melinda turned Bill down when he first asked her on a date. Probably because he's a nerd. I think at that point, she was technically working under him, which is a little goofy. Bill listed the pros and cons of marrying Melinda before proposing. That's fair. Yeah, but to find the fucking list. Yeah, I hope she didn't find the list. I think it is good for my fiance to weigh the pros and cons of proposing to me before he does so. However, what are the fucking cons? You're watching too much Bachelor. I am, sure. <laughs> That's a good point. The fact that you're like, okay with it shows that you've been watching so much Bachelor. I think it's normalized. Well, I think everyone makes a pros and cons list when they're dating someone. The difference is, do you write it down? Here's, if my fiance were smart, this is what he'll do. Well, he'll do his real pros and cons list in his head. And then he'll write down a fake pros and cons list where he only writes pros and there are no cons. And he like drops it somewhere and I find it. So he makes me think it's the real one. And so I'm like, oh, great. There's no cons. I feel great marrying this guy. So here's one you're going to really love. Bill sought approval from his ex-girlfriend before proposing to Melinda. Yeah, he's fucking her. (laughs) Come on. That's fucked up. There's something sinister there. They're bonded too close. They're like, they both survived. I know you did last summer. And that's why he's asking her. Like, we both know we killed that dude. Is it okay if I get married? It's too much. Okay, here's a dumb one that I'm I'm willing to not even discuss because it sounds so stupid. Bill enjoyed doing the family dishes. I feel like this this is like some grasping PR shit. I'm sure he didn't enjoy doing the family dishes. I'm sure he has a maid. And he enjoys tipping the maid to do the family dishes. He does not enjoy doing the family dishes. Or he's like Howard Hughes and he's like washing the dishes because he has like some germ phobia and does just doesn't trust anyone. Again, something sinister. Melinda called their marriage a surprise. Yeah, I'd be surprised too if he was like, so I talked to my ex-girlfriend and she said I can marry you. I'd be like, I'm surprised you want to get married to me. Yeah, there's a lot of things she's welcome to be surprised about. But that's the list. I learned a lot about their marriage. 
Like their whole marriage is calculated. Of course. There's no like we got married because we believe in like wild things of being in love. Like we have this, this intuition that we belong together. We got married because it was so mutually beneficial for us. And now a divorce is mutually beneficial. You have to tell me the OC podcast is very bad. It's really bad. As you guys know, or maybe you don't. We talked about it on the podcast, but maybe this is not something you are privy to in the audience. Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark, who were on the OC, they started an OC rewatch podcast, which is very similar to like the Office rewatch podcast. Obviously, these celebrities, they can make money in their sleep rewatching an old show of theirs. Also, you know, they're actors. Most actors, you know, are at least serviceable podcasters because they know how to talk. They can hear themselves in a more critical way. Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark are bad podcasters. They don't listen to each other. So I listened to the first episode where they brought on Josh Schwartz, who's the creator. Melinda was constantly trying to be like, okay, so this is what happens next in the episode. But then she would be skipping scenes. And then Josh would skip around to other parts of the episode. And, you know, I'm fine with a podcast episode, like skipping around a little bit. But if you're going to like call yourself like a recap podcast, you can't be like in the pilot talking about a plot line from season two. Are your standards now high because you do a recap podcast? Perhaps. Here's the thing. I take involved notes for my Vampire Diaries podcast so I don't miss anything in the plot, even if it's a stupid scene. You can expect that from Grace. Exactly. So you can expect that if you listen to Doppelgangers, uh, my other podcast, you will hear a lot about the Vampire Diaries. This is the other thing. Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark were both hired kind of as side characters that they didn't expect to go anywhere. Yeah, they were listed as special guests for probably at least half the first season. I noticed that while watching it. I think in the pilot, they each have like two lines or something. And one of Rachel's is, ew. Exactly. And so to hear the two of them talk about it, they don't really have much exciting stuff to say. Listening to it, you're like, okay, I'd rather hear what Adam Brody has to say about this. And there's the veil of awkwardness because you know Rachel Bilson dated Adam Brody and she doesn't like outright talk about it, but she doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. But she's been doing like a media tour where she comments on it clearly because she's not going to comment on it on the podcast. I think Peter Gallagher should get the fucking podcast. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to have him on. He's got juicy stories. He was on a press tour recently. He was like, I had to set all those kids down. Tell them I'd be nice on set. As I said, when this podcast was announced, no way were these two anyone's first choice for the hosts of this. Yeah. And you can tell it's just a bad podcast. They don't really have anything to say and they don't really have any like juicy behind the scenes stuff in, you know, the episode I listened to. Maybe there will be someday. But also there's like that level of darkness that came with Misha Burton during the OC years that obviously they're not like really addressing. So anything actually juicy and interesting to listen to Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark aren't the people who would address it. I, and I love Rachel Bilson. Yeah. But she clearly it's taking her a second to learn how to podcast. And you can tell that Rachel knows she's kind of the get on the podcast. And she kind of views <laughs> Melinda as second fiddle, which you can tell because Rachel's like leading conversations and kind of ignoring Melinda. They are finding their footing. But right now it is very bad. I don't recommend it. Just watch the OC.
it's not hitting yet. I think because they're not really sure what they want it to be yet or what like structure they want it to have. So I probably won't continue listening. And it's a different sort of cat, like the office. It's like, oh, and then we all had pranks one day. Well, the office, it was like also everyone was on set every day, like on the same set. There was rarely a time when they shot like somewhere that wasn't in the office where the whole group wasn't around. But the OC, there's like so much going on that most of the scenes they talk about, Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark have no connection to. Yeah. And so Josh Schwartz is like, oh, yeah, I really love that shot. And like, this is what's interesting about that shot. But Rachel and Melinda can just basically be like, cool. They don't have anything to add to it. It's like I might as well be listening to any regular old person recap the OC. Love you, Rachel Bilson, but it's not your best work. Uh, But I do recommend the OC. I don't recommend the OC podcast. All right, Bridget, you have to tell me about the feds asking Kim K to return a looted statue. Page six, I think, broke this because I found it on page six mere minutes after it posted and I was looking at all the sites. Mm -hmm. Of course. All the tabs are open, just shared people, page six. And page six is the only one to say this initial story, but there has been some response from the involved party since. The feds are saying, Kim, you need to return this statue. Kim is saying, I don't have this statue. I did not buy the statue. I don't know what you're talking about. Then her people also went farther to say, well, maybe she bought the statue, but it was not. Her name was used without proper authority. What's the statue of? The statue is a Roman statue of like half a human figure. They call it the fragment of Myron Samian Athena or Samian. Samian? Samian. Tomato, tomato. And it's dated around the first to second century AD. So the Italians believed it was smuggled out of the country. And supposedly the statue was seized from the LA port June 2016 and reported to Homeland Security. And at that time, the importer for the goods that were coming in was Kim Kardashian DBA doing business as Noel Roberts Trust. So that's why her people are like, well, maybe someone just used her name to bring this over. But then there is an invoice found around March of 2016 where interior designer was working for Kim. And this designer says that he did buy a statue, but it was not Italian. So he's saying this is not the statue you're looking for. I saw what I saw about this was that there was this statue that she's had in a home of hers since 2016. And she just had no idea where it came from, which I believe that someone like looted it. And they're like, there is no better person to sell this to than Kim Kardashian. That'll get the blood off our hands real quick to her or whoever her interior designer was. I don't think she was that involved in it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so at all. And I mean, that's the problem is that she's so rich, she doesn't have to be involved in these things. And I'm sure whoever was involved in it was just like, oh, that's a cool statue. I can buy it. I don't really care where it came from. Exactly. I have the money. I trust whatever you're telling me about it. It fits with the vibe of the house. Check, check, check. The vibe check. She said vibe checked. Looting, (laughs) not checking that. 
<laughs> the only thing I'm checking is the vibe. Exactly. I I think that's exactly what it is. She said, okay, this statue is beautiful. Who do I make the check out to? They gave her a fake name and she said, I don't care. They said, can you pay in cash? And she said, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, whatever you need. You have to tell me TikTok girls exposing celebs on Raya. 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 I knew that. Yeah. So Raya, for those who don't know, is basically a celebrity dating app. It's not just celebrities, but you need to be like invited to be on it. Rich people Tinder. Celebrities are on it a lot as well as like rich LA influencers. So this week, two TikTok girls, I mean, this isn't like the first time this has ever happened, but TikTok girls exposed celebs they're matching with on Raya. The first one was Ben Affleck. The girl matched with him and she was like, okay, he's absolutely fake. So she unmatched him. And then he found her Instagram and sent her a now very famous video of him being like, why did you unmatch me? It's me, Ben Affleck. Wait, was she age appropriate? I mean, she was like young, but in the grand scheme, she was age. Nothing as worrisome as the one I think you're about to talk about. Yes, exactly. So then this other girl exposed, exposed. I mean, she revealed that she matched with Matthew Perry and was FaceTiming him. And the first like wave of reactions to this was like, why are you like matching with celebs just to expose that you matched with them? It just is a little icky. Which on some level I do agree with. But I think too, on those dating apps, there's some sort of power in just saying like, would I match? So like by swiping yes on Matthew Perry doesn't mean like your initial thought is like, if he matches me, I'm outing him. I think it's like a secondary emotion. Well, yeah. And then the second wave of things was the girl who exposed Matthew Perry was basically like, yeah, we matched when I was 19 and he was 51. So he's not exactly innocent. And I think it is this weird thing of like male celebs trying to hook up with like young Instagram influencers. It's all very icky. It's a weird change of tide where it's like how normal if this was like 1992 and you were 19 and you matched with a celeb, everyone would be like, yeah, that figures. And now it happens and you're like, oh. Well, and it's weird because Matthew Perry also has this, like 19-year-olds are watching Friends and liking Chandler. So I saw, I don't know if it was really her because it was like a Dumois post. We've talked about before, Dumois is a gossip Instagram account because they were like, why are you even looking at that age range? Not like you shouldn't be looking at 50 year olds, but it was like, did you set it to specifically look for 50 year olds? Which no shame, do your thing if you want to. And her sort of statement was like, my mom wanted to see who was on there who was her age. Oh. And then we saw Matthew Perry and swiped yes because we're friends fans. But then it was weird after that. Well, also, even if she set her age range to 50, I don't care. Who among us hasn't gotten a little drunk on Saturday night and said, I'm going to set my age range to 60 tonight just to see. What happens on those settings is between you and the fucking app as far as I'm concerned. Listen, if I was a celebrity, I don't know if I would be on an app. I think you bring up a very good point there. That's like, what are you doing? I think that's the biggest disgust. It's like, oh, you're on a swiping app. If you're a celebrity and you are being that celebrity on this app, you know that comes with people are going to tell people they matched with you. You know what you're getting into. But I think a lot of them are narcissists. 
I wonder if Matthew Perry knows that he's being exposed. I bet he does. I bet Ben Affleck has no clue that video of him was posted. No, I think he does because I think a lot of people have been like, like celebrities have been adding <laughs> going at him, be like, dude. <laughs> Like, I think that'll become a parody. That's going to be an SNL sketch this weekend. Yeah, Elon Musk is going to play Ben Affleck. Oh, my God. This ah. episode's going to come out after SNL, so we'll see if that's true. <laughs> see if this prediction happens. Bridget, you have to tell me about Caitlyn Jenner's neighbor packing up a hanger. Caitlyn Jenner went on Fox News because she's announced to run for governor because Gavin Newsom's had a recall. Of course, she's doing like a press circuit right now of why she, a trans woman, would be a great Republican representative. And she said, it's because, don't worry, everyone, I hate trans people. We have to protect natural born girls from the dangers of trans women. That's absolutely not true. But that's Caitlyn Jenner's little little statement she's making. And she also made a statement about homelessness saying it's so bad her neighbor had to pack his hangar plane. Someone has so much money they packed their personal plane to fly it to Sedona, Arizona. This person was so offended by the homelessness because they're such a rich elite snob. Yeah, Caitlyn Jenner was like, my rich friends are all leaving California because they can't stand to walk by homeless people. Oh, your rich friends who refuse to pay taxes or... Yeah, you know, your rich friends could solve homelessness. They literally could. But they said, no, I'm moving to Sedona. In my personal plane. Caitlyn Jenner is iconic in her delusion. The way she just says things with no understanding of their implications is incredible. That she literally is like, yes, I am a trans woman. I'm proud to be a trans woman. I'm proud to be trans representation. Also, trans girls should not be allowed in women's restrooms. It's like, how how do you do that? It's so wild, too, because it's not like Caitlyn Jenner has always been A-list. There was a time when Caitlyn was married to Chris. They were, like, poor and struggling. I mean, from the Chris Jenner POV. Well, and they were kind of laughing stocks. Yeah, Chris was like, I pulled our asses out of this from all the things I learned from hanging out with attorneys and industry people for 20 years before. The disconnect in her brain is fascinating to me. It's girl boss exemplified. We all love a girl boss, don't we, folks? The Circle is the golden age of television. Do you watch The Circle? No. You should. It is incredible. The whole point of the competition is it's like all social media. So it's like, yeah. And it is literally a popularity contest because you rank each other. And it's like the most popular person every week gets power to block someone. And then at the end, the most popular person wins. Within that, there's like the strategy of being a catfish. What does that mean? The whole competition is on social media. So no one ever sees your real face. So some people come in pretending to be someone else because they think it will help them for whatever reason. An example is like this season, a guy came in as like a 21-year-old sorority girl because he's like, oh, she'll be really likable and no one's going to kick out a sorority girl. Or like one woman catfished as her husband and decided to play the game as like a single dad who really needs the money. Or one older guy was like, I'm going to catfish as a younger guy who's recently heartbroken and some people come in as themselves one notable player this year was chloe who was on netflix's too hot to handle i didn't watch it i watched the other one that came out at the same time love is blind. love is blind 
what I love about the circle is it is so high stakes, but at the same time, it is so stupid. While you're watching it, it's all you can think about. And then as soon as it turns off, it just leaves your brain. If you haven't watched The Circle, watch The Circle. The other really fun part of this season was someone came in as Lance Bass. They were pretending to be Lance Bass, but it was Lance Bass's personal assistant. So she's like, oh, I know Lance Bass. Nice. But she did a very, very bad job. But it was funny because... Lance Bass is like exactly the level of famous that you're like, he would do the circle. Yeah. So if I was in the circle, I would be like, that could be Lance Bass. So the whole time he was in, people were trying to figure out if it was Lance Bass or not. That's like a trope they could start doing every season. Have a catfish Lance Bass type character. One day you're going to be doing it and the person's going to be like, I'm Eric Estrada. And you're like, yeah, right. Eric Estrada. Eventually they're going to get a real celebrity on. I mean, I guess Chloe from Too Hot to Handle was like a celebrity to some people. Everyone on the show seemed to know who she was. That's probably part of casting. Like, do you watch other Netflix reality shows? But there were like half of them didn't know who Lance Bass was. Had not heard of NSYNC. I was going to say, does that make us old? But I know you're young, so. Yeah, I'm young. I also thought it was weird. Because in his bio, he's like, oh, I've worked in entertainment for X amount of years. And everyone was like, huh, I wonder what he does. And then some people were like, oh my God, it's Lance Bass. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's more celebrities like that than you would think. Where people would be like, who the fuck is that? Pick anyone from NSYNC except Justin Timberlake and you could probably, people wouldn't be able to place them. Yeah, I don't know the rest of their names. JC... Joey, I think there's another one. Maybe not. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our next segment, which is called Biden Bites. So the theme of Biden Bites this week is bullying works. Yeah, we got to keep doing it. Because first of all, Joe Biden raised the refugee cap to 62,500, which is what everyone told him to do. And he waived vaccine patents, which is exactly what all of us and all the House Democrats were urging him to do. We've been bullying Joe Biden and he is responding to bullies. We're going to be bullying him for the next his entire term. It's just incredible because I do feel like it feels like stalling. These are things we've been asking for. And then we're going to get them after we're just asking for them for X amount of time. These are things that he campaigned on for one and two could simultaneously just sort of fix or make happen. And instead, he was like waiting for everyone to shit down his throat. Yeah, he's waiting to be bullied. His people are waiting to be bullied. But this week, Joe Biden is the puppet master and Mrs. Carter is the puppet. This photo of the Bidens and the Carters is hysterical. Not only did we all look at the photo, but then media was like, oh, now we have to write up a follow-up article about why everyone's sizing in the photo looks weird. It really does look like the opening scene from Elf, where Will Ferrell is so much bigger than everyone. It looks like they're an elf. It's so cute, though. I do love it. I think it's fun. Yeah, we got to put this on the social media. Yeah, this will be on the social meds. Yeah, that's our Biden Bites. And next up, it's our new recurring segment. We know you guys love it. It's our Cruel Summer Recap, baby. 
this is your spoiler alert for episode four of Cruel Summer. It's called You Don't Hunt, You Don't Eat. I'm going to read highlights from the synopsis from Wikipedia. So in 1993, Kate struggles to be accepted by her stepsister as the family prepares for their hunting trip. Once there, Joy reveals she invited Merton Harris. Kate tries to confide in Ash, but looking for company, she stargazes with Merton. Ash is her stepsister. And Martin is the vice principal slash kidnapper. I said last week we weren't sure if Martin Harris was the kidnapper because we hadn't seen enough information. We saw enough information this week. He's absolutely the kidnapper. (laughs) I was getting a little too conspiracy minded. I'm happy to admit that now. (laughs) 1994, Kate attends therapy, becomes friends with Mallory. And also in 1994, Ash begins communicating with Kate online because she wants to reach out to Kate, but Kate's not having it, obviously. And then in 1995, Kate and her family meet with lawyers and they basically talk about how she needs to be consistent with her story to not be painted as a liar. They go on another camping trip. Kate is antagonistic to her family, doesn't want to hunt, and then tells a story that is about her abduction. It seems like now we're going to be switching between Jeanette and Kate the whole season. So I have notes. I want to bring up that award montage. July 15th, 1994, we have Kate looking around her room at all of her trophies and she's just like tearing them off the wall to some fun music. She gave a great monologue, which obviously I think sums up the episode and her role in it. Her whole life changed because she realized that like everything she thought was important Everything moved on without her because she kind of felt, I think, before she was abducted, like kind of the center of everyone's universe. And then she was gone and everyone just kept living their lives. They redid the dining room. They still went on this hunting trip. Such a fun because teenagers are terrible. Not that I'm saying teenagers are terrible because they're terrible. I'm saying like teenagers are terrible because they have a lot of hormones, which leads them to just fighting crazy stuff. And so like realizing that, yeah, everyone else is going to move on while you disappeared. Kate, I think in this instance, is an extreme narcissist. But even if you weren't a narcissist and a teenager, I think you'd be like, what the fuck's going on here? It's got to be a hard thing to learn. And also because pre-kidnapping, Kate wasn't used to people not wanting to hang out with her, even though there were plenty of people who disliked her. She wasn't used to kind of not being liked by people, which is why I think her issues with Ash were such a problem for her, because Ash didn't want to talk to her at all. That's what led her to go hang out with Martin, who... At the end of episode two, they kind of made it seem like that's when Martin was going to kidnap her when she was like drunk and running through the neighborhood. And then we reveal in this episode that he brought her home safe after that. And now he's continuing to infiltrate her life. That was crazy. That was super wild. I had assumed that he had kidnapped her on July 4th. Exactly. And we kind of started also this episode, we saw a little bit more of the layout of the basement and we saw that there was a window. So her seeing Jeanette doesn't seem so unlikely. Do you still think she saw Jeanette? I think that she saw Jeanette and she thought Jeanette saw her, but Jeanette didn't see her. I'm standing by my theory. I think it's like a one-way mirror thing. I think you're on to something for sure with that. Well, I would also love to talk about this friendship with Kate and Mallory that we're seeing develop in the later years. I love it. 
I, initially, I was shocked. They end up becoming these pot smoking buddies that now are like, we're little hippies to get high. Because previously, Mallory had been very anti-Kate. She was like, I don't like that girl. And when she disappeared and Jeanette kind of took over Kate's life, Mallory said like the last thing this town needed was another Kate Wallace. And in this episode, we see them like run into each other at the therapist's office and talk about therapy in a way. I mean, obviously this shows through a 2021 lens because it's made in 2021. They're talking about therapy in a very like evolved 2021 way. So they're kind of bonding over both coming to therapy and they become friends and Kate's mom makes it very clear that she does not like Mallory. Yeah, which isn't saying a lot because her mom so far only likes one character and it's the guy that she's cheating on her husband with, I think. She likes Kate when Kate behaves. Yeah, Kate's becoming too much of a thorn in her side at this point. <laughs> Seems like it. She's like, I wish you'd never gotten kidnapped because you've been a real downer since you got back. And we got a clue that the day that she got rescued, something crazy happened. Yeah, so that's the whole episode is building up to something happens on the day of her rescue and it's first hinted when she meets with her lawyers about her case against Jeanette. Because Jeanette at this point in the 1995 storyline has countered sued for defamation against Kate. For yeah, she basically was, was like, like, I need to get my story perfect. Just tell me what I have to like, do. Give me the tips, coach. That sounds like incredibly too strategic for somebody who is making some very serious allegations. Well, I think it's more of a coping mechanism because she wants to get her story straight so she doesn't have to talk about the traumatizing parts of her abduction, which obviously we haven't gotten into yet, but we can assume there was some sexual assault. I mean, we can assume any number of things. So the show definitely alludes to her being somehow sexually abused in some capacity because he came down to the basement with a grilled cheese sandwich. And in that scene, they were talking about her like trying to escape. But I definitely was thinking, oh, there's pills in that grilled cheese, which they alluded to later by doing like this weird, oh, things are fuzzy and the camera is unsteady. I do think she saw Jeanette. I stand by that. But I do think she's kind of downplaying what's happened to her because she's so sure of that. And she knows that she's not a reliable narrator. Now, a lot of people on Twitter are saying a lot of people are convinced that Mallory gave Kate the necklace. Oh, that would make sense. But I don't know, because she gave it to the cops before she and Mallory were really friends. And I think. Jeanette would say, oh, I gave that to Mallory. It would give her reason to throw Mallory under. Exactly, because she and Mallory aren't friends right now, so she wants to throw Mallory under the bus. What do you think about Kate's accent? Does she have an accent? So in the 93 and 94 timelines, she has like this, oh, my mom. Mama. Mm, I'm from Texas. And then like 95, she's just like, oh, I'm a goth. I think that is Olivia Holt not being the best actress of our generation. No offense to Olivia Holt. I think she's doing a great job. I think some director thinks they're like some fucking genius to the world. And they're like, so how about like in the earlier decades, you know, you're still a country bumpkin. You still somewhat trust your mom. And then 95, you're making a conscious decision not to sound like that. Is this show so layered and complex that they were like, your character is just so 
worked up about how shitty everyone's been since you were kidnapped, that you're willing to drop your accent, get your belly button pierced, become a vegetarian with like the school's biggest loser. I don't think it's that layered. I think she worked with an acting coach and they were trying to differentiate with the way she saw the world each year. And they're like, one way you can do that is in 93, you're like kind of this like Southern pageant girl and you're very presentational about your life. And then in 95, you don't feel that need to be presentational anymore because you've realized it's hollow. And so I think the voice work that she did on that is separate from the accent and the accent was affected kind of tangentially. It definitely feels like an acting exercise. It's like, how does this character talk when they're like in public versus when they're in private? And I'm sure she did a lot of acting work on that. And that's kind of where the whole difference in the voice came. Again, no hate to Olivia Holt. I think she's doing a great job. But Meryl Streep, she is not. And I don't think she wants to be. And that's okay. Most teen dramas, you can get away with a pretty bad actor and you're still fine. I mean, look at Riverdale. There's not a good actor in that bunch. No offense to any of them. We were just talking about this with like Misha Barton leaves the OC in season three. And a large part of that was Misha Barton's fame was going like straight up. And she did play the part of Marissa perfectly. But Marissa is like this vapid character. As long as you look disinterested most of the time, you're probably doing a great job. And so she has like these people in her ear. Season three being like, you don't have to put up with the shit. You should transition to movies. She gets whatever part. And then everyone sees like, maybe that wasn't acting before. God love Misha Burton. She cannot act. So this is my point about teen dramas in general. A good actor is usually the exception. No offense to KJ Appa, but he didn't get the part of Archie Andrews for his acting skills. So if Olivia Holt is not the world's best actress, I'm okay with that. She's doing exactly what she needs to do. We have to talk about Ash because Ash to me is a new fascinating character. I think she's the one that left the sign on the door that says liar. You think Ash is? Yeah, because who else would have all the details? All right, let's get to Annabelle. So then we see her retelling this story. We see her retelling in the campfire allegory. I'm going to threaten your personal lives for you to vouch for me. It was cool to watch Kate just like own all of her mom's friends. Well, and to make it crystal clear to them, you're the one who left me alone with that guy. You are responsible for what happened to me as much as anyone else's. More so than anyone else's. And so she uses this name, Annabelle, as her name for herself when she's telling it. And then later she goes back and listens to the therapy tapes because she wants to get her story straight or whatever. And she told the therapist that she met someone named Annabelle, but she doesn't remember who it is on the day she was rescued. Any any guesses you want to take who Annabelle could be? My main guess is that Annabelle's another girl who he had captive. I think it's someone we don't know yet. Yeah, I'm hoping it's like a Norman Bates situation. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like, this is Annabelle. This is my mom. Or, oh, it's his like wife's dead body or something. That's what I was going to say. Here's another theory. He says, like, this is Annabelle. You can leave if you kill her. In order to escape, he makes her do something really bad to Annabelle or something. And we still don't know how he got caught. All we know about that day is that... There was a shootout and he got killed. Or so we've been told. So maybe Annabelle could be related to how he got caught. Maybe Annabelle was like an undercover police officer. I think it's going to be someone we haven't met yet. 
But they exist. But they exist. I don't know. I love the name Annabelle, though. Creepy name. Like the doll from The Conjuring. We'll see. That's the cool summer recap of the week. Our main topic of the week is kind of about celebrities, their publicly held political beliefs, I guess is a nice, succinct way to say it, or how they choose to present their political beliefs. Specifically to the Black Lives Matter and their relationship to what's going on, which I gotta say for most of these celebrities, no matter how well-intentioned they are, there's definitely a gap that is related to them being a higher class of people. I think once you get rich, you lose the ability to relate to people who aren't rich. And I think you start to think of yourself as like, well, yeah, I was lower class and I got rich. So anyone could do it. So anyone who's upset about not being in a higher social status, that's something they just have to work through on their own. We've all been afforded the same opportunity. Yeah, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps so anyone could which obviously is not true because there's a lot of intricacies in everyone's individual lives. But I think that's the narrative that the higher class are fed and then that they tell themselves. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, I earned this, so I'm entitled to it. And by the transference of that, I think there is some weird shaping of your political beliefs. But in some of these celebrities in their posts, I think it's also because I'm higher class, I don't actually do my own social media. I don't need to culturally understand the wider spectrum of the discourse in sexism or racism because my job is to entertain. So I'm worried about making more content being relatable through the medium and the content I'm making, which then when you see some of the reactions, for instance, Heidi Klum, who does have children that are biracial, she posted all lives matter. (laughs) And it was a picture of her and her kids with like all their hands in a circle. And I don't think she posted all lives matter because of the implications that we now know that everyone now knows. I mean, what it has but as somebody who probably is not in their own social media sphere and having these sort of discussions with regular people because it's not necessary if you're the business owner and people are kissing your ass all the time you're probably not having meaningful conversations and so when you see all lives matter it's like Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, you know, they hire a young social media manager to be privy to all the discussions on social media and kind of synthesize it. But as a celebrity, you see something that says all lives matter and you think, now that makes sense to me because who you're talking to is other celebrities. It's the same thing as like the not all men thing. Rich people don't like it when people say eat the rich because they're like, oh, they're mad at me. And it's like, no, we're not mad at you individually, but if the shoe fits. I mean, unless you're still giving yourself a bonus and not paying the people who work under you. Exactly. If the shoe fits, then yes, it is you. Because social media is so much a part of celebrity and a part of like everyone makes a statement for everything now because they have to. Bill and Melinda Gates making a statement for their divorce. Every public celebrity couple, you don't even have to be that much of a celebrity. You can be a very low level celebrity. You will make a statement anytime you break up with someone, anytime you start dating someone, anytime anything happens. Statement, statement, statement. Publicity, baby. 
That's how you get reported on is you give someone a statement or your PR gives someone a statement. And if they print it, then it just, it makes your personal stock go up. Exactly. Because it's like, well, I'm being written about, so I'm a celebrity. I still am relevant. It's a lot of SEO, even by Bill Gates and Melinda Gates announcing their divorce and giving a statement, how many people are going to be Googling Bill Gates now? Exactly. Everyone's like, you know, I really ha- I really don't think about Bill Gates much from day to day. So they look at the memes and then they're also like, what's this old chap up to? Well, and then at the same time, you're like, well, now that I'm thinking about Bill Gates, I've heard great things about a Microsoft Surface. Let me look into that. Maybe I should upgrade. You know, my Mac is giving me issues lately. Now that I'm thinking about Bill Gates, maybe I'll look at see what Microsoft has to offer. <laughs> it's just the natural way our brain works. Well, and then our algorithms are set to sell us more. I just want to make it clear to my algorithm that I'm not actually in the market for a surface. So don't show me <laughs> ads for it. I like my Mac. I know you're listening. And also I'm recording this on my Mac. I know how Apple works. If I start talking shit about my Mac, it's going to start fucking up. I love my Apple iPhone. Is that how it works? I think so. I have a suspicion. It's like when a new iPhone comes out and it starts glitching. I know. I just saw Verizon commercials are like, we'll give you a bunch of money if you switch to a 5G phone. And I thought, just give me the fucking 5G phone. Why am I worried about discount? Just give me the phone. If you want everybody to switch to 5G, just give us the fucking phone. I'll switch to 5G. Just give it to me. You can track me all day long. I don't care. Yeah, it's already happening. I've already given so much of my data to whoever wants it because I want Google Chrome to remember my passwords. This is why women are going to start poisoning people again because they're Google tracking. They're going to know if you bury a body, but if you accidentally poison someone, oopsie daisy. There is just something nice and juicy when someone does something like so tone deaf that you're just like, how did we get here? There's so many bad things in the world and we should absolutely be upset about so much. So when a celebrity makes a tone deaf statement, it is low stakes enough that we can just enjoy it kind of for what it is. It's fun because it is like stupid. It's fun to see everyone go, oh, this is stupid, right? Like we all agree. We can all like make fun of a common enemy. You could do that in the 90s. I don't know if people, if our listeners remember the 90s, but someone remembers the 90s. There was a lot you couldn't say because people were like, oh, you're just going to humiliate that person. And now in the 2020s, we're calling everyone out. Like, yeah, I know. I want to humiliate that person. We want to cancel. Exactly. I don't remember the 90s because I was a baby. I was a literal baby. But now it's like someone says something, immediately it's going to be picked apart by Twitter for better or for worse. My favorite are the celebrities who just like keep trucking and don't send any apologies because it's like they're like the news cycle is going to move on. Yeah, that's like real life. You know, it's like when you come into work and you tell everyone you have this great idea and everyone's like, that's fucking stupid. And then you have to go into work the next day. But like everybody already forgot about it. And it's just like, all right, just don't mention it. No one talk about it. We're fine. We're all going to move on. We're all going to pretend. Let it die. Yeah. Sometimes that's the easiest way to get people to shut up is just never bring it up again and just hope no one else wants to either. So one of my favorite things about this is, I don't know how you say his name, actually. I think I've only read it. So David Guetta? David Guetta. David Guetta, who's a DJ. When George, the whole George Floyd, 
I wouldn't say incident, but murder. It's more than that, right? Yeah. When we were in these demonstrations and all this sort of stuff was going on, Geta released a tribute to George Floyd using a remixed version of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech last May 30th. And this was like at a party. It was a live stream concert for coronavirus relief in Manhattan, a Manhattan rooftop. And everybody was just like, what the fuck? What's so funny about that is that you know that David Geta was like, as a DJ, what can I do? And he said, I'm going to do a remix. I'm going to make some sick beats, babe. This is the other problem with stuff like this. When you're a celebrity and you're doing stuff, there kind of is no winning. Because if he had just come out and played all his songs, everyone would be like, wow, he didn't even address anything. Actually, no one would. No one is expecting anything from David Guetta. Let's take a second. No, if he came out and played his songs, I would be like, yep, that's David Guetta. He would have been better off just playing the song. Or how about you just donate some money or join the front line? Exactly. Donate some money. Go to a protest. Go fucking play music at a protest. You don't need to make some sick beats. Oh, David Guetta. On some level, it's like, I don't expect anything from you, David Guetta, because I don't really know anything about you. And that's okay. I don't need to know everything about David Guetta. In fact, I really don't know anything about him. And I I prefer it that way. I have no desire to know anything more than I know about David Guetta at this exact moment. All I know is that he plays music sometimes with other celebrities. And I feel like that's too much. The other problem with celebrity is you get to a certain level of famous that you're like, well, everyone's going to be looking to me for what I'm going to do, which, you know, David Guetta is like, everyone's going to be expecting me to do a remix. And it's like, no, actually, we're not. No, it is. So another great one is Madonna. I think Madonna, this article only lists one problematic thing that Madonna has done. She's got her own issues. She's had several, right? Like, wasn't there there the Instagram post with her in a bathtub telling people to, like, settle down while she's wearing, like, all of her expensive jewelry? Yeah, she's been in the public eye so long. And she's been like the most famous woman on the planet for a period. And she's still like one of the more famous people on the planet. There's no way that she can understand life in a way that a normal human can. Oh, I'm famous for too Not long. at all. The way she lives in the world and the way she sees the world is just fundamentally different than anyone and else. She, well, she became famous and rich. Like the sort of early Madonna rumors was basically like she moved to New York and was a club kid. Like she hung out with all these bands. She hung out with all these music people and then found a way to get a deal, which was like visiting a record label producer while he was in the hospital. But she like lived in a time where you got a gig because you showed up at the bar every week. So she shared a video of her son dancing to Michael Jackson's song to honor Floyd. I don't even know if there's a way to pick that apart that makes any sense. It's just the thought process. There's none. It's like, oh, what am I going to say about George Floyd? I'm going to post a video of my son dancing. I'm freaked out by people, too, who are cool with Michael Jackson. And Madonna, I think she's made statements about Michael Jackson, too, that basically she was like, we were friends for a long time. So obviously she like she's never going to be able to fathom any of the accusations and she's never going to be able to think objectively about them. But that's also just like an underlying thing because it's not like Michael Jackson's music has stopped being played. People are still playing it, but it is like just another little piece to that post that like you could not get one part of this right. Right. 
Woof. Her publicist team was just like, they had to just be like, well, she's going to do whatever and the gays are going to stand. Yeah. Well, I think also like some celebrities became celebrities at a time where they're like, I will never touch a social media account. I will have a team touch everything that I post. And I think there are some celebrities who either they became famous at a certain time or that's part of their brand is being really open and honest or like, no, I run my social media. So I think Madonna probably is like, no, I'm going to run my Instagram. That's fun for me. I think it's a combination. I think she probably has someone who posts. I think she sets up the regulations. Like you're going to post these type of posts or this is my brand. And then every once in a while, she's like, I have something that I would like posted. Because she came up in a time when it would not be intuitive for her to have social media. But she does like the young boys. Well, and she's older now. So like, it's not like Madonna's not doing anything, but she has the time to run an Instagram page. Conversely. So like she grew up in a time where there was no social media. She was already super famous. She was super famous enough that she didn't have to get social media. I think she only got it because young people have it. Yeah. Like there's some celebrities who, you know, they don't touch their Instagram account because they're just simply too busy. There are way more famous people who have social media accounts that don't run them like rita wilson does not run her social media account but she was tweeting about her makeup artist who was late that one time i doubt an assistant would do that yeah i think that was probably her oops daisy i'm learning a lesson in real time well i think there's some celebrities who like they never touch their social media I think there's some celebrities who are like, I'll touch it, but also I have an assistant to like supplement it. So they post. And then there's some people who are like, it's all me, baby. I think most, if you're A-list, it's a combo. You're doing some of it because you're kind of a narcissist, but most of it's not you. And if you're a C-list and a D-list, you could even probably afford someone else to do it. But the majority of it, you're like, I got to create my own branding and my own voice and my own thing. Here's one for example of someone who does not know her own Instagram password. Reese Witherspoon. No way she's on her yeah, own Instagram. Yeah, no way. She pays a lot of money to make it look like she is, but she would never log on to Instagram herself. She doesn't know how to get that on her phone. She knows how. She doesn't want to. She's got too much other stuff to do. I feel like she's the sort of person you'll catch her in an interview. She's like, yeah, I don't know. But you know someone who does do their social media? Sarah Michelle Geller. She does her Instagram. I don't think she's A-list. Oh, I think she's still A-list. I think she's A-list for nerds. I don't think she's... Nerds? Cruel Intentions. That's not a nerd movie, Mama. It's the convention nerds that keep her alive, and you know it. But my point being is, like, she's famous, but she's not busy. So she can be on her Instagram. That's the same thing about Madonna. That's interesting. Now I'm starting to think all of Sarah Michelle Gellar's posts are very Instagram-y. She's a mom who's learning how to use Instagram. But now I'm thinking, I don't think she's even doing it. I feel like she might actually be farming it. No, I think she's doing it herself. The point basically that I'm making is that celebrities or the people who celebrities hire, they know kind of the buzzwords to talk about, but they don't know the order to put them in. And that's why their statements so often fall flat. Do you remember last Christmas when all these celebrities, because they were under the same PR company, all were doing like these weird rhymy name elves on the shelf, but it didn't make any sense. Yeah, it was like, you've heard of Elf on a Shelf, now get ready for, and it was like Pac-Man on Jackman, if it was Hugh Jackman. And there'd be like a picture of a tiny Pac-Man on Hugh Jackman's shoulder. I do remember that. 
So I also think a lot of these PR companies have their own incentives. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody who's running the company is like, we need to fuck up the algorithms and start having people write all lives matter. And so these celebrities, whether they're personally doing it or a team, they're probably being told like, Oh, and then we're going to use the all lives matter hashtag and celebrities are like, okay, I don't care. I pay you to do this. Like, I don't even know why you're telling me this. Or I mean, the black squares, the blackout Tuesday is another perfect example of this because it was something that like very quickly swept social media. I'm sure all of you remember this during the George Floyd protest. Everyone's like, oh, we're going to do this thing called blackout Tuesday, where all of these black creators post a black square and they're not on Instagram, whatever. And then it very quickly was, you know, co-opted by white allies to be like, oh, we're going to post black squares too to show we're supportive of like, we're not going to be on Instagram today. There was also a lot of competing rhetoric across the board of what the black squares even meant from this is for content creators to this is specifically to the music industry. So like, I think it's stupid that we get worked up about like black squares. And then the other controversy that followed it was a lot of the celebrities and higher level people who then decided to post it in support also hashtagged it Black Lives Matter. So the Black Lives Matter hashtag was clogged up with black squares when it had been a hashtag where you were getting information about protests and like mutual aid funds. And so then it became this issue of like social media firms hopping on what was essentially a social media trend and then like doing more harm than good with no like actual point to it because it was like, oh, we're posting a black square to be supportive, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just you're not donating anything. You're not doing anything. You're just posting. I don't want to come at anyone. I think it is important to express solidarity for causes, but it does get very confusing of like, is that real activism? When I was in college, this is funny. I was in a documentary film class and we did a documentary about activism online. So I have a lot of opinions about this because that's kind of a new form of activism now is posting online, but there's also a performative nature to it where it's a way to like show a quantity of activism you are participating in, whether or not you do anything but show that. And it's a tricky thing that, you know, I do too of like, you don't want to not post because you want to be involved and let everyone know you're showing solidarity. But also the way a post looks is like, I'm doing the bare minimum on activism. And I think that's why it triggers people because so many people have been ignoring or not giving this cause the recognition that it needs. On the flip side of that, I think the unintentional racism that white people have prevents them from seeing where they should have helped people. And so I think those sort of conversations of why aren't certain opportunities there for certain people and like literal redlining. A lot of white people have had the privilege to just grow up and say, oh, black people live in this part of town and white people live in this part of town. And there's no one in the mainstream white to 
make them question how weird that is. And it's not until these sort of demonstrations happen that more people are actually blatantly saying this is racism. And social media is kind of like the first place for people to learn these things. And so if they're learning something that isn't perfect, it's better than learning nothing at all. So it's like this difficult balance of it's a form of activism, but it shouldn't be the only form of activism you participate in. But there's so many not barriers to entry, but there's it's hard to get involved in activism if you aren't. It's intimidating. And sharing something on Instagram is easier than anything else. Yeah. And I think a large part of its intimidation is the threat that comes with it. You constantly saw headlines about people being arrested over the summer. But like, how many demonstrations did you go to where you were arrested or even saw anyone get arrested? Like, I went to plenty where there was even like intense moments, but no one was arrested. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that the other ones obviously weren't happening, but it was the focus of the media of like saying like anyone who participates in this is some sort of anti-American, pro-anti-fascism, fascist. There were many demonstrations I went to that it was just people sitting in a park. And families were there. Like it was like people bringing their kids. And I went to one where they were handing out little pressed juicery samples, which is very L.A. But it's like <laughs> if you didn't know any better, you would be like, oh, I meant like an outdoor concert. Yeah, I went to one where a guy was actually serving weed treats. Oh, yeah. People were handing out kiosk. stuff, selling T-shirts. I mean, selling incense. Exactly. And that's what I think the problem with celebrities is, is the way they post about these things is just like fundamentally detached. And unfortunately, that's like they're the most followed people on the platforms. I don't blame them. If I could pay someone to do my social media, I would. When you pay people to do social media, you're paying like a certain type of person who knows how to do social media. And the way we see social media is changing. So it's just like- And what we're expecting from people. It's the nature of being in the public eye is that every single thing you do is going to be commented on. So of course you're going to hire a team to do it because you, you're like, I don't want to involve that. I don't even want to be on social media. Yeah, if I was a celebrity, you would never catch me on my own Instagram. I would make a Finsta for my friends. Yeah, I'd have a Finsta. I think about that all the time. Which I'm sure many celebrities do. Yeah. But my official Instagram, you would never catch me on it. No. Don't tell me the password. I don't even, I wouldn't even follow it. Yeah. Someone's like, you need to make a statement. I'd be like, write it for me. Tell me when it's up. Yeah. I'd be like, get me Obama's speechwriters. Let me say some prolific things without actually saying anything. Well, that's your flaming bag of dog shit for this week. Here's your takeaways. Bullying works. Hire a social media manager. Watch Cruel Summer. Yeah. Bridget, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bridget underscore suck it. Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Grace Piper. And I host a Vampire Diaries podcast called Doppelgangers with my sister. It's a whole lot of fun. And you can find this podcast on Instagram and Twitter at The Gossier. Available on our Instagram and Twitter is a submission form. If you have a main topic you'd like us to talk about, or if you just have comments, concerns, another great place for your comments and concerns, the rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts. You leave us five stars and say whatever you want to say on, the, on your comment. I don't care. But make it a review that's five stars. That's our episode for this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Ah.